You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram at diffiefordlincoln. This episode is presented by Citizens Bank of Edmund. Citizens Bank of Edmund has been serving Edmund since 1901. They pride themselves on investing in the community and are here for all your personal and business banking needs. For more information, go to mycitizens.bank and follow them on Instagram at citizensedmund, as well as Go bank there because I bank there too. It's been a fantastic personal experience for me. I've had my podcast account there now, my podcast business account there now for a few, four years now, I think. And it's been fantastic. So definitely worth your time. They're a great group of people and they're always there to answer the phone when I forget my password because I seem to forget it daily. Um, So yeah, go to Citizens Edmund and um, check them out. It's been awesome. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This Is Oklahoma. Mike Hunt here, host, back with another episode. Uh, I'm glad my guest came here today because the weather's horrendous. Um, but it seems like you might need, might have needed to get out of the house a little bit. <laughs> yes. Uh, after the snow that we've had. But it gives me great pleasure to introduce Jason Gallagher to the podcast. Uh, Jason's an Emmy award-winning director, producer. Um, can talk a little bit about basketball, a little bit about content, and a bunch of other stuff. But you've ended up in Oklahoma, um, and I'm interested in why. And we're going to spend the next however many minutes talking about that. But, um, yeah, pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. Um, the why are you in Oklahoma is probably a, a, a something I have to answer at least twice a day at this point <laughs> for the last two years. Um, but you know, I, I really, I really love it uh, here. We 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 wound up coming here. Um, we're vaguely familiar with the area, but neither my wife or I are from Oklahoma, mm-hmm. so we are true transplants. Like. Um, you know, my family's from Dallas, my wife's family's from Kansas, uh, you know, worked in production, lived in LA for a long time. And, uh, during the pandemic, it was, it was quite difficult to be out there spending that much money on rent, having a kid going outside was kind of tough, uh, to be honest. Um, and so my wife's family lives in a farm. And so we went to the farm for a while and kind of as a bit, we were like, let's look at houses. And, um, we like found a house in Edgemere park that we loved. And, uh, <laughs> and we were like, yeah, screw it. Let's just, you know, it was like so much was done on a whim, which is, you know, sort of how COVID went. I suppose for some people, some people were like, screw it. I'm going to make sourdough. We were like, screw it. Let's move across the country. Um, and my, uh, you know, when I told my LA friends, they were like, I'm sorry, what? And it was like really out of the blue. Um, and we thought it'd be very temporary, but it's been, it's been so awesome. And I'm, and I'm, I'm genuinely, uh, I don't think we're going to leave. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of insane. I thought for sure I would move by now, but it's not happening. So, yeah. uh, because I, I, my day job is real estate. Tell me about the house. I mean, why did you fall in love with it? What's it like? Okay. Um, it is a, it is a, it's an older home built in uh, 1922. It has this very cool cottagey vibe. It looks especially sick right now in the snow. Um, but you know, initially what was cool about it was, 
there, there's no lawn. It's just all cactus. Um, there's a guy in town named Dustin Door, who is a architect, interior designer, uh, fairly well known. And he, he had the house at one point and there's a lot of, um, stuff on the outside and the inside that I found it to be super unique. So it's like obviously an old home, but it has these like crazy modern touches, things that I would never imagine like myself making that choice, but being like, Oh, that's sick. Um, we have this like giant, blue chandelier that has like seashells on it and it's like little stuff like that so we were you know I, I feel like the cactus thing was a was like a weird draw uh and then we fell in love with the interior and then yeah it's just it's it's got a unique vibe to it and it it matches our personality yeah so. not to mention the house price compared to la yeah that's that that it helps that we're uh we're not spending thousands and thousands of dollars on the smallest apartment you've ever seen yeah so day to day you spend a lot of your time producing directing usually content around basketball yeah were you just a dreamer as a kid wanting to be in the nba did you have a career <laughs> like what where's the, where's the basketball love come from yeah. So I, I knew fairly young that I, I had no future in the NBA as a player, <laughs> uh, just given my size and, and everything like that. But yeah, you know, I grew, grew up in Dallas and, and always, I was like a, you know, as a nineties kid loved Michael Jordan, like loved Kobe Bryant, all that stuff. But as Dallas started to get good, I fell in love with the Mavericks and Dirk Nowitzki was a idol of mine. Um, but I always like, you know, I always loved the story of basketball. This will make my my boss, JJ, sick. But I love thinking about, like, legacy and narrative and things like that. And I actually think that there is a part of basketball that is, like, some of the greatest stories being told in our time are being told through sports. Um, like, I'm sneakily suspicious that, like, 500 years from now, we're going to talk about LeBron and Michael Jordan the way we talk about Shakespeare. Like, literally, like, I think it's that cool. Um, and I've always had this... Um, this love of the story of basketball, first and foremost. Um, and so that, that I, you know, when I was, uh, when I was a kid, my, my, my dream was just to entertain people and sports was just like a passion of mine. And eventually it clicked to combine the two. Um, I wouldn't say it was like, it didn't crystallize until, uh, right after I dropped out of college. So, <laughs> uh, what do you? What is happening with like? Is, did Cuban sell his thing? Like, what is happening with that? <laughs> yeah, he's. I mean, it's, it's he's selling it, and and you know, there's a lot of theories as to why. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's like very funny to say what happened outside and be like, wait, maybe we're just all glossing over the obvious that he's he's making billions off of this sale. Yeah, he's a businessman. Yeah, he's yeah. a businessman, and and I think he also cares a lot about legacy for himself too. And um, there's probably a cap to what kind of impact you can have as a sports owner, but you know, maybe he wants to be a Rockefeller of Texas and yeah. that's, that involves him building the casinos and all that other jazz. Yeah. So like, I, I, I don't know. He could be just swinging super, super big here, but uh, it'd be interesting to see what, see, see what the team's going to be like. Apparently he's running the day to day still. So I can't imagine much changing. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. And you don't hear much from the guys you still kind of talk to and you have connections in the organization still or no? Oh yeah. 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 Um, yeah, no, I mean, nobody really knows. That's, it's been interesting, but like, you know, I've shamelessly asked people, what the heck is going on with Cuban? And they're like, Lord knows. They have no idea. You know, this, some people were like, is he running for president? Is he doing X, Y, or Z? But it's like, it doesn't appear to be any of that. It's, it appears that he's, he's actually just trying to like, yeah. um, you know, kind of go for it, I guess, I guess in the, in the building a legacy in Texas kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You mentioned dropping out of college. Yep. Go back a little bit before then. Tell me about high school. Are you, you talking <laughs> about entertaining people? Like, are you grabbing cameras, videoing your friends, doing, you know, sports, jumping off things, whatever it is? No, uh, definitely not. High okay. school, I was just trying to survive. Okay. Um, I was not a good student. Uh, I wasn't a good student in college. I, I, it, it took me a bit to mature, but um, moved schools, bounced around a lot. I had divorced parents. And so, you know, I, I basically went to school in every suburb of Dallas and, and then including Dallas. Um, but I was, I was into sports and I was into running weirdly. And, and I went, I wound up going to Oklahoma Baptist university in Shawnee on a running scholarship. And I never actually ran a meet. Um, it was just like a way to get in somewhere. Um, 
but I was always involved in theater. So this is a big part of my life is I love comedy and I love theater. Um, you know, so in, in high school I was involved, I did plays and stuff. And then in, in college I did a few plays and then I always, there was like a, a team that would do like uh, improv and sketches and things like that. And so I was heavily involved in that. And that's, it was, a, there was a trip I took in college in spring break where we went to Chicago, uh, to second city comedy, um, to go see a show. And it really, I've always idolized that place and I've always idolized SNL and stuff like that. So that's when I dropped out. Um, got married and then my wife and I with no money moved to Chicago so I could go to Second City um, to do theater and and uh, make people laugh hopefully so that that was that was that portion of my life um, and I don't know how much you want me to ramble on but uh, you know very quickly realized that I am not uh, I was not the talent <laughs> like almost immediately I was just awful on the stage and and uh, it would ruin my like week, you know, if I had like a bad uh, performance or whatever, it, it like would absolutely shatter me. So it was like, okay, um, I'm surrounded by all these talented people and no one's here to actually like help them put their work out. So maybe that's a hole I can fill. And that's kind of like, that seems to be a recurring theme in my life is, is spotting a gap and trying to fill that gap. And so that's what happened with, uh, with some of the theater stuff in Chicago. And so I was helping people put on their sketch comedy, you know, stuff. And, uh, and then my buddy and I started a production company and we actually got to, um, write and stage a couple of our plays that we wrote. Um, but the one that really sort of set my career in motion was a two and a half hour long musical about the NBA lockout. Um, that, uh, in that kind of, uh, uh, that's how people started to hear about me within the sports world. So, yeah. Uh, you met your wife at college? Correct. Did she, was she around there too? No. no. Um, we were just hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> OBU's, I mean, for Dallas to OBU is a, it's a bit of a culture shock, right? It certainly is. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, she, I, we were both sort of black sheep in our, uh, in, in college and, and like in our families. And I think that's probably why we gravitated yeah. towards one another. And so going to Chicago was just like this huge adventure yeah, for both it, of you. Yeah, it totally was. Like I took a sales job. Um, that's what I did for the majority of my time there was, was doing sales by day and then doing, you know, art by night. Um, and yeah, it, it all sort of culminated to this, to this NBA musical. Um, and yeah, that, 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 that did, that did a lot better than I thought it was going to do. Um, and, the, and like I said, it, it kind of put my name on, on the map in a very weird way. And if you were somebody in content and you were looking for like a weirdo to come join your squad, like, well, the guy who wrote the musical about basketball might be the guy. And so that was pretty cool. Um, and so, yeah, that's, and then, and then, yeah. and then that's when I started to like get into writing and then production and stuff like that. Up until then, I never touched a camera. I didn't know anything about anything. So, yeah. Uh, who was, I guess that first, or I mean, what was that first moment when you realized that you're like this thing that you've made is actually like getting traction mm -hmm. in, in the industry and people are starting to reach out? Like, what was that like? Yeah. So I remember, um, I was at my sales job and I got a call and it was, it was from a guy who worked at ESPN named Henry Abbott. And he was like, Hey, uh, you know, I, I had heard about your, uh, the musical you're writing. Cause at this point we had recorded a cast album and we had actually put that out and used that to market then the musical. And he was like, I'd love to write about it. And I was like, Oh wow. Uh, and it's still the reason to this day why I always answer cold calls. You just never know. Um, <laughs> but so he, he was like, I want to, um, you know, so I sent him the script. He wrote about it. Um, it was a very nice article. Um, and then, and then shortly thereafter, I got a call call from Daryl Morey, who is the general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers. But at the time he was the GM of the Houston Rockets. And he and I, I got to go to Houston, have a lunch with him. He is a theater nerd who runs a basketball team. Um, so we, that was a pretty cool thing. He actually helped with, with like giving advice on, you know, 
like I, I'll never forget. And he was like, you have to have like a mascot. He was like, so far in your script, you don't have a mascot. And I can tell you right now as a general manager, someone who's trying to improve the quality of a basketball team, it is insane how much the owners care about their mascots. And he was like, and, and, and so we, we added that bit in, but he was a, he was a, uh, you know, supporter and would share the stuff. And then slowly, um, it started to become clear to me that through the internet, you can make something and then, um, grow that thing. It, you know, if you're kind to people, if you believe in what you're doing, if what you're doing is different, then you can do that. And so it started to get shared quite a bit. And, um, like it was even like a debate subject on one of the ASPN shows. They like played some of the music and they were like, will this make it to Broadway? It was like this huge debate. And I was in my head, I'm like, neither of you have seen this, uh, uh, but, uh, both came to the conclusion that would never make it to Broadway. And, um, they were right. <laughs> so, I mean, shout out them, but we yeah. also use that as promotional material for the oh, show yeah. too. I mean, so it was, uh, it was a really unique experience. Uh, the, the thing's still up on Spotify. If you, if you, for whatever reason, would ever want to listen to that, but, um, you know, got a lot of pickup on like NPR and things like that. Um, uh, and that's when I sort of decided to like, um, that the guy, the original guy who wrote about it on ESPN was like, Hey, you know what you should do? You have like a very funny voice or whatever. Maybe like just start a blog. And at the time blogs were huge. And so I started to, um, write and I created a blog using comedians around second city. And we had like a really good cast of characters. I don't know if you've ever seen like the righteous gemstones, but one of the guys, um, his name is <laughs> Tim Baltz, uh, who is, a he plays uh, Judy Jimstone's husband. Um, but like he was a writer on it. This guy, CJ Toledano, who runs a huge production company in LA now was on it. So it was like a really cool cast of characters that were writing this sort of like the onion version of a sports blog. Um, and then that is how uh, Bill Simmons eventually discovered my work and started to ask, uh, ask if I wanted to contribute to some of the stuff he was doing kind of a big deal when Bill Simmons comes calling, right? Yeah, that, I mean, if you were a, a guy my age at that time caring about sports and you get that email, it's it's a pretty big yeah. deal. And I was like, holy crap. So. Did you think it was real or do you think it was one of your buddies messing with you? No, I, I, I it never crossed my mind that it wasn't real. Um, I probably should have, but it didn't. Um, yeah. And I was, I was flipping out. Um, and... That was just really cool. He was like, Hey, would love to, for you to contribute to, at the time you ran a website called Grantland. And he was like, I would love for you to start to, con or, you know, contribute on a weekly basis to, um, some stuff, some basketball stuff we're doing. So, and at this time I was freelancing for like Rolling Stone writing about the NFL, which was insane because I don't know anything about the NFL. <laughs> um, but like, I was just saying yes to everything. Right. Essentially. If anyone asked me to write anything, I was like, yes. Um, and I thought I was going to be a writer, but almost in the exact same way that, um, that I was like, you know, quickly realized I wasn't meant for the stage. I was like, oh, I'm only an average writer, mm. but maybe I can help enhance the talent, mm. uh, which is eventually where I went. Yeah. I mean, it's great advice for people listening there. It's like, just say yes to everything if you want to be in that spot, right? Like, you know, like I said about the NFL, you know nothing about it, but yeah, I'll write for it because Rolling Stone's kind of a big deal and my name is going to be on the byline. Totally. And it's like, people read that and they think you're something that maybe you're not. Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter that I was kind of like, I hated the gig, but like, you know, I'll never forget, um, I went on a trip to Vermont and I checked in at a holiday Inn at like 1230 AM and the guy who was running the front desk, he was a little creepy, but he had like headshot resume, everything. And was like, I looked up, I looked you up and you are like a Rolling Stone guy. And I think he thought I was like in the industry, but I was like, no dude, I just like blog about the NFL. Uh, but I got my, uh, you know, my room was upgraded. So <laughs> <laughs> there's little, uh, little moments, right? Like I am famous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a little upgrade. It was the, the weirdest thing in my life. And, and, the guy I was with thought we were going to get murdered, but uh, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I've upgraded you a room that only I have the key. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what he thought. Oh, brilliant. So you stop blogging, um, you stop writing, you realize that maybe writing's for you, but then you realize you're not, you know, you're above average writer, but not, it's not going to be like the plan going yeah. forward. Um, tell me about being like at the ringer then, because that's kind of a big deal. Right? Like, yeah. The whole part of your life was pretty big. So, at, so essentially at Grantland, what happened was, um, they were using a collection of freelance writers to help blog about the, 
uh, NBA, but they had staff writers, right? And so all of the freelancers got an email one day that was essentially like, hey, thank you for your service, mm-hmm. but we're, we're going to keep it in-house with just the staffers. And that was like a devastating blow. Mm-hmm. And so I was just thinking like, that is like my, that is, I need this connection to, to you know, whatever, to keep trying to advance this part of my career. Um, and so what I did was, I was like a lot of um, the work that the stuff I was blogging about it included some um, some level of visuals. Um, it, it was either a Photoshop or something like that. And so I said, "Do you guys need a multimedia person?" So so when they sent like that, "Hey, we're gonna let you go," I was like, "Wait, do you need multimedia though?" And they're like, "Actually, yes." Now. I had no experience in multimedia. Anything I'd ever Photoshopped took me probably like eight hours when it probably should have taken me like 15 minutes. But um, YouTube is a wonderful thing. If you need to learn something, YouTube um, just has about just about every answer you could possibly imagine. Um, and so they were like, yes. And so basically any of their staff writers that needed anything multimedia related would come, the request would come my way. And it was such a hole. It was crazy. Um, you know, like the, the Dallas Mavericks coach at the time, Rick Carlisle. I remember he always he always used to say them as an organization wanted to stay opportunistic, and that is like a thing that I used I, I would I would apply to my life as staying opportunistic. Is is um, you know when when someone asks you to do something, say yes, and then figure it out later. Figure out if you want to do it later, whatever. But like, don't close doors just for the sake of it. Um, and so you know, I, they would ask me to make a video and I would be like, I I absolutely. And I would have no idea. And this was at the time when I got the least amount of sleep in my life was because I was still working the day job, uh, you know, the sales job. But then, um, but then, you know, my night I was learning how to edit video and, 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 you know, it was such a hole that I, uh, there's a basketball writer named Zach Lowe and he, used to write these columns and they would have corresponding gifs or gifs uh, that went along with it. And they would pay me like $500 per gif. And they, they would like uh, request like 20 a week. So if you're doing the math, it's like, that was the most money I've ever made in my life. I was like, wow, you guys know this is like actually pretty easy to do. And like, I felt like I was getting away with something, but anyways, all that to say is that, you know, I was able to use that to make myself valuable, but then also to develop a relationship with these people. And I think that's half of it. Um, and then when Bill eventually, you know, left Grantland, uh, you know, I, I went out to LA to meet with a couple other people that were high up at Grantland and they were like, Hey, we're going to start this thing at the ringer. It's going to be a few months, but it would require you to move to Los Angeles. And that's, that was a big move. We had just had, a, uh, you know, our son. Um, but it was such an opportunity that I was like, yeah, I want to be in person. I want to be with Bill Simmons. I want to be with this, uh, you know, cast of talent. Um, and yeah, so I was there like sixth hire, um, I was, I think my title at the time was multimedia producer because they didn't have anyone on social, they didn't have anything. And, and so my job was to help, you know, use sort of my sensibilities to help build the brand of the ringer. Um, and that, that was a lot of fun. That was a dream job. Like so cool. So, yeah. What year was that that you made the move to LA? Goodness gracious. Um, I want to say it was like 2015 or 16. It was one of those two. Yeah. Yeah, I was there for about five years. Yeah. Yeah. Sunshine over a Chicago freezing cold. Sounds I mean, great. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It is, it is, uh, it is wild how much like that can, the sun, like no matter what the weather is, if it's just consistently that way the whole time, it's, it can kind of send you into malaise. Like it's just wild to think about, but LA was cool. Um, I really love the day trips. That, that's probably the thing I miss the most is that you could drive, you know, an hour and a half either direction and, and end up in an the forest or the desert or the ocean or whatever it might be. So yeah, I missed that part. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you're, you're going there to raise your kid, right? As well. Like that's yeah. a big move too. And there's a lot going on. Going. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure, I mean, clearly it worked out. Yeah. Uh, talk, talk about the ringer then kind of what that was like being involved, being on the ground in LA around the team, quite a young team at that point as well. sounds like mm-hmm. just kind of what the direction was. Yeah. Well, the way I described the ringer, especially in the first few years, it was, it was like the wild west. And that's the way that bill sort of operated, which was awesome. It's like, Hey, make it. 
and if you impress them, then you, then you win. Um, and if you're like a sicko like me, then you just, you're relentless about it. And so, um, so the early days were pretty crazy because we would all just get on the call and be like, what do you want to do today? Um, or we'd all meet in the, um, in the common space and, and sort of decide what we wanted to do. Um, you know, Bill's mandate was literally like make cool stuff end of story. Um, and so, you know, you got to experiment a lot, you got to fall flat on your face a lot, but you got to have big wins a lot. And, you know, that's what, that was around the time when I discovered that I had a knack for creating things that could go viral in specific moments. Right. So it's like, um, you know, Super Bowl. It's just like be online, use your knowledge of culture to create something that people are going to want to share and do it under the ringer brand. And so on social, I was really helping out with that, but you know, I'm still fairly new to production, which is sort of, um, you know, crazy in terms of like physical cameras and things like that. And so I started to, um, to dip my feet into that and to sort of try to create, you know, um, like series and things like that stuff that was essential to the internet. And that was something that I felt my lack of knowledge was actually a strength in some ways. Um, you know, because at the time this is pre COVID, you have to think pre zoom, pre all of that. It was like, I had like a specialty in low production, low, low, you know, low quality production. And so I would lean into that. And I remember, um, you know, me and some of the other video guys that had been to film school, they'd be like, well, it needs to look this way. It needs to look glossy. But I was like, why? People are watching this on their phone. Like, why do we need to to make everything so high quality? I think the the key is going to be to make things, you know, intimate. And th again, this is pre TikTok. This is pre all that. So, um, you know, I, I made a couple series um, that started to really take off and get some notoriety. And that's when that's around when my career really started to take a, a leap. When it was like yeah. we can bring Jason into to help, um, you know, add an original voice and, and hopefully reach people. So this is where the using an iPhone kind of comes in. Yeah. I think in your bio, it's like winning awards from using an iPhone or something yeah, like yeah. along those lines. But, um, yeah, I mean, people ask me all the time and you probably get it too. Like, how do I start a show? How do I start a podcast? And like, yeah. use your iPhone. It's literally all you need. Yeah. You don't need fancy cameras and a good, I mean, yeah, a microphone's great, but like you can literally start with your iPhone. Start yeah. It's more important than you worrying about what you need to use. Yeah. And content is just such a, it's, it's such an interesting, you know, game we're playing right now, especially right now, which is just like, um, you have everything available to you and you have like, you have an audience, you just need to reach it. And that's what's like so crazy to me. And that's where it's like, you know, I'm a big shower, um, you know, of uh, if I have an idea, I'll likely just do it and um, put it out into the ether and it'll fall flat or it won't. Um, but that was a little bit of the, the idea with some of these shows that I was doing. It was, it was like, all right, let's film it on the iPhone. We'll put it out. We'll see what people like and then we'll change it. And that was a big, big part of it. The evolution of these shows were pretty crazy. Um, you know, and, and the one that, um, that really took off was a show called NBA Desktop, which was... Uh, sort of a, you know, and looking at the NBA through the, through the world of the internet. Um, and so I took, you know, I worked with this guy, Jason Concepcion, who he himself had sort of gained notoriety just through his Twitter presence. Thank God he was a great talent because th that doesn't always work out. Um, but it, in a very similar way, like he, he just was so funny on the internet that we were, you know, it was kind of a match made in heaven. And he and I, um, we worked tirelessly on these shows, man. We would record for hours and hours and then I would edit it down to 12 minutes and it, but it just needed to move. It needed to pop. He was, you know, his frame was in the bottom left-hand co corner, almost like what you would see in a Twitch stream right now. And then he would just browse the internet and we would create our show rundowns through Google docs and the audience could see that. Um, 
And so, yeah, that, that's the show we wound up winning an Emmy for. We were nominated twice, um, digital innovation, which is sort of funny, but, um, but yeah, it's, that's, that's, uh, that's where things started to really change. Yeah. So you're starting to find your feet at this point. You, you feel like yeah. you're not just like treading water, like you were in Chicago by just taking, no. saying yes to everything. You're like, I do this now. Like, this is my job. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and, and it's, it's always, um, you know, that, that, that is where I felt like I was at my strongest was, was, you know, at the ringer had a whole team sort of mm. able to, you know, f- fulfill a, a specific vision or whatever. So that was, that was really cool. Yeah. And then we started to do like more higher profile things, um, like the game of Thrones after, after show that we used to do. And, um, so yeah, it was cool. Yeah. What was like that? I guess that, I mean, the fan in you must be geeking out when you're meeting these people or talking to these people on the phone and you're like, I mean, was there, you talk about your idols earlier. Like, is there any idol moments? You're like, Oh my God, I'm talking to, you know, this person or this person's in the office and he's just like, Hey, what's up? There's, there were several, um, like, so we worked on a, the ringer's office was in a studio lot on, it was called sunset Gower studios. And we shared, we shared our studio with Shonda rhymes who makes Grey's anatomy and, uh, all those, those sort of like crazy, you know, popular shows, but it, it, it was so stupid because it was like, we were a bunch of bloggers and then, mixing it with the beautiful people of LA. Um, so there was a couple, there was one time where I was in late and I like walked into a scene where Viola Davis was like, and they had to cut cause I walked in it. Like, you know what I mean? Um, but you know, my, there was a couple favorites. One of them, you know, like I said, I'm a big SNL guy and Bill Simmons brought Bill Hader through the office and he just like stopped in an office with me and, uh, buddy Kevin Clark and, Brian Curtis. And he just started telling us SNL stories kind of unprompted. That was sick. Um, yeah. you know, another one was, uh, Henry Winkler, the Fonz, uh, came into our office. He was looking for bill. Um, and I was like, Oh, let me call him. And I, and bill was going to come in 10 minutes. So we had to like kind of kill time with him. And, um, it was really fun because he was like, you know who I, I mean, Oklahoma's going to love this, but they were, he was like, you know who I like? He's like, I like James Harden, but you know who I don't like? I don't like Kevin Durant. And he was like, I don't think it's cool. What he, and I was like, dude, Kevin Durant is so in the doghouse that the nicest man in the world, Henry Winkler was like, I'm out. Um, so that was really cool. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 there was a moment in which, um, while I was at the ringer, I, I did a lot of parody songs as well. And those went super viral. And one of them was called Hallelujah, which was a play on Jeff Buckley or sorry, um, um, Jeff Buckley's version of Hallelujah, uh, written by Leonard Cohen. So anyways, uh, but we did this Hallelujah song. It, it blew up within an hour of going online and, uh, and so the Mavericks brought uh, me and my buddy in to perform the song. And then we got to meet Luka Doncic. It was a very fun, it was a very fun experience. Um, so stuff like that was really cool. And then seeing your stuff shared by, we did a Hamilton parody uh, and I sang on that one. It was one of the few ones where I was front, um, front and center on and like Lin-Manuel Miranda shared it and all these Hamilton cast people shared it. So those, those were like the times where it was like really, really cool. It's always a fun feeling when like, uh, uh, you know, when you make something like that and your phone's just blowing up, it's just great. And it's super fun. Talk about the comedy of it. Then you, you mentioned comedy earlier, you're a lover of comedy and mm-hmm. obviously comedy and sports for social is like a match made in heaven. <laughs> um, you know, I think of like Bob Mannery and all the other yeah. people that have come out of social media and with, you know, um, comedy in that, uh, you know, there's so many, like I'm a golfer. So there's so many great golf ones now as mm-hmm. well. I mean, it's just fun. And then you have like Barstool and, you know, Mm -hmm. these uh, comedy golf skits as well. But I'm sure there's equally as many in basketball, probably more. Where does the love of comedy come from? Like, are you growing up, you know, watching, you know, just TV shows of comedy and you talk about SNL? Like, yeah, a lot of your influence must come from that, too. Yeah. Uh, SNL was SNL and The Simpsons were the two things I was raised on. Just period. End of story. Like, um, you know obsessed, literally obsessed with them. And, you know, I, I come from this could, this could sort of get dark. It doesn't need to, but I come from like a bit of a broken home. And I think people like that sometimes, like they just like, 
they can't help but laugh at everything. And that's kind of where I'm at. Like, and I've always been that way. I don't think there's a single thing that could occur in the world in which I wouldn't be able to at least connect some sort of joke in my head. Now, whether or not I say that out loud, different story, but I've always sort of been that way. Um, I always find, try to find joy in pain. Um, and so, you know, I, I find, you know, uh, like, like I said, SNL, the Simpsons, these are things that matter deeply, deeply to me. Um, and, and honestly, like when comedy's done right, I just, I firmly believe it, 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 it can be a great connector of human beings, you know? Um, and so that's probably why I love it. When people are like, what, what did you always know what you wanted to do? I would, I would always say like, all I knew is I wanted to make people smile. Generally, that's all I want to do. I'm working on a few you know, projects right now that are in a genre of, that is typically very serious. But I was kind of like, no, I like, I think people have a strong desire to sit down, not have to like overly think about something and just have a good time, like create escapism for people. And that's something I'm like deeply, deeply committed to. doesn't mean I don't respect people who make things for a very specific purpose that have deep, deep meaning. But my deep, deep meaning is like, Hey, the kid who is coming from a broken home might need a little bit of an escape. And, and, and it's like that, that to me is, is I think a lot of why I do what I do and why I take the angles that I take. So, yeah. Uh, I love the Simpsons growing up too. Um, used to come home from school and watch it while eating dinner literally every night. Yeah. What do you think about them predicting the future? Oh, I mean, it's, it's dead on. Right. It's, it's, it's actually kind of (laughs) creepy. Like, I mean, they, they, there's very, very specific things they've predicted. And then there's like broad things that you're like, oh my gosh, like, you know, everything from Trump being president to everything, like they called that. And uh, yeah, I don't know. There's this special group of writers over there. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I need to rewatch it and figure out how to predict the future. Myself. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you talk about obviously a huge, huge fan of comedy. If you were to produce and direct someone's comedy, I guess, let's say the Netflix special, who would you choose? Oh my uh, I don't know. Wow, what a question. Uh, here's what I'll say. The fact that, um, not necessarily in the Netflix special kind of way, but the fact that like a comedian like Nate Bergazzi doesn't have his own, like hasn't made his own like string of Will Ferrell type movies is be, beyond me. And, and if a studio's watching, get on that. Give that man money. Let him make the movies he wants to make. Um, that's, that's the first thing. Cause I think that he is somebody who creates content for the sake of unifying people. Um, so that, that is, that is, that is somebody, uh, in terms of a comedy special, I mean, like, I think one of my favorite comedians is Ray Romano, um, for a similar reason that I think he just, he, uh, you know, likes to make things that just, you know, sort of every, as many people as possible can, can laugh at. So there's a part of me and he has like kind of a dad vibe. And, uh, you know, I think that I would love to make, uh, you know, a, a comedy special with him, but in particular, when it comes to like making anything, I think, uh, I think it'd be fun to make a movie with Nate Bergazzi and I think it would be, uh, make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt in my mind. hundred percent. Yeah. I totally agree. Uh, Back to the ringer. Mm-hmm. So, how long are you there? And then the ringer then generally it, does it sell to Spotify? Gets acquired by Spotify? Mm-hmm. Like, do you have any part in that? Like, what's your kind of like, uh, you know, like that period of your life like when that happens? Yeah. So, um, I was there for about five years. Um, you know, culturally, the ringer really changed for a variety of reasons. Um, you know that are very public, but it's like, it involves, you know, one of the co-owners got in a lot of trouble legally. Uh, the, the, you know, the staff unionized, there was a number of things that kind of broke that place culturally. Um, it was really interesting because I have a pretty good relationship with just about everyone there from Bill Simmons down to whomever, uh, the interns or whatever. Um, and it was interesting to watch that place go from like a unified group to, uh, a very split group. And that was, I think what it started to change culturally was kind of when I was like, Oh, this is getting a little less fun. And I don't think that's a controversial thing to say. I think anyone in their right mind would say that now, uh, I don't really put the blame on anybody 
because if you follow media or if you're in media, you knew that these sort of media companies were going to do, were going to unionize everything like that. And Bill Simmons, you know, the ringer was such a small company that it was like, you know, you felt, you felt if people didn't like each other, you felt that. And so there was some, some, a little bit of like culturally, it was getting a little, um, tough. And then, and then obviously it sells to Spotify and, Culturally, it, it, it changes even more where the mandate isn't necessarily, you know, I said at the beginning where the mandate was like, just make cool stuff. It's less, let, let's, less, let's make cool stuff. It's like, Hey, we have a, a particular mandate. Now I think that's great. And that it's like, yeah, that's what happens. You sell for $200 million. Like you got to listen to the bosses a little bit. And, um, but you know, as a video person who just got sold to an audio company, it's not that I, I didn't feel like I couldn't make stuff anymore because I, I always felt empowered. It was just more like, um, I don't think I, I think I drop naturally in the pecking order of making decisions. And so that, that is a huge, um, reason why I started to feel like, Oh, what's life like beyond the ringer, which is sort of crazy because my entire time in media thus far had been connected to bill. And I do think there was a little bit of like, go flap your own wings and see what happens that needed to happen. Regardless. Um, I am like eternally indebted to bill Simmons and still keep in touch. And he, uh, as a genius and like have nothing but great things to say about him. But you know, when you're introduced to him as like the meme guy, like how far can you really go? And, uh, again, I never wanted to, I never want to paint like he held me down, but there, there's almost like an internal, you hold yourself down. And so like, like, for example, I never thought I could like run a video team. Um, you know, I, I, I never, knew I, I could be like a leader to the degree I am now simply because of my own internal, um, restrictions. And so once I left and was quickly recruited by multiple places, I was like, Oh, okay, maybe I did do something right. And that was like a big eye opening thing, but because I'd always worked, you know, under bill, like there's, uh, there was a thing that I was almost capping myself to some degree. And so, um, you know, that that's that's essentially why I wound up leaving the ringer. Yeah, talk about that then. Talk about like that that mindset shift and like once you leave there and you have a bunch of people calling you and like oh like the, what I did at the ringer seriously carries some weight. I mean obviously yeah. the ringer brand carries weight too. Um, tell me about that mind shift because a lot of people go through that. I think people do that and they can apply that to their everyday lives as well. Whether they're working a nine to five or they're trying to be you know a real estate agent or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. It's really, um, it was a driving force for, for gaining some confidence. You know, um, whenever I was thinking about leaving, I had spoken to some folks and their basic, you know, question was like, do you think people like you? Like, it was a weird thing. And I was like, yeah, I think so. And they were like, I think you need to have a little bit more confidence in yourself. Like, cause I, I, I operated under crazy anxiety again. And like, um, you'd only known working in this space in one specific way. And I, anyone who would ever ask me advice, would you ever work for the ringer or Bill Simmons? The answer is a billion percent. Yes, because it is a uh, microphone and an amplifier that, that can't even be described. Like it is the reason why so many people have careers is because they worked with and under him. Um, but there comes a time, I think in everyone's career where you start to say to yourself, like, um, it, you know, is the, is the, are you leaning too heavily on that microphone? Right. Um, and so me leaving and then hearing that from people, it was a huge confidence builder. And I'm not, I wouldn't go as far as to say I didn't have confidence, but I didn't have confidence that I could find a job. Like truly when I left, um, I, had been, I had been insured one opportunity and that was to freelance direct a thing for a company called Crooked Media, which is a political company, but they were dipping their toes into sports. So I was like, okay, I have that gig. I'm going to work off of that gig. And at this point I had moved back to Oklahoma city. It was pandemic that also kind of leaned into it. And I think that's a huge part that I may have over overlooked, which is that the pandemic was huge for my career because remember I was talking to you about the sort of lo-fi vibe that, it, well, all of a sudden everybody's lo-fi and who becomes like a very valuable asset 
this dummy. So that's what wound up sort of happening was people were like, we need you to be able to remote create stuff with some of our talent. Um, and so, you know, that was the only thing that I had insured. And I was like, all right, I'm going to take this leap. I live in Oklahoma, rent's a little cheaper. Um, I'm going to take this leap and, and very quickly, you know, started working with the Dan Labitard show, started working with the volume, started working with blue wire, started working with all sorts of people and places. And I was just getting put on text and like, you should talk to Jason, you should talk. To and so, um, that's when, that's when I was like, oh, okay, I can kind of choose what I want to do, which was a thing that I'd never in a million billion years thought I could just choose what I wanted to do. Um, and JJ being one of those people that I was also connected with. So, yeah. So out of all that, it seems like JJ was the one who like really like gets pushed to the front. Seems like, yeah. You know, not that you pushed him to the front, but like you seem to like, this is the one that's still there. Yeah. Right. As far as today. And I saw you, you're over a million followers on the YouTube channel, which is huge. Yeah. Like as someone who produces a channel, like that's a, that's a pretty big milestone yeah. to do that. Right. So tell me about JJ and how that kind of takes off and then what like the plan is, you know, from the conception to where it is now. Yeah. So JJ, um, is somebody that, um, I was working on his podcast towards the tail end of my time at the ringer. He used to be at the ringer and I was working on that podcast. I had never met him, but there's obviously a lot of potential there. And when we were creating stuff for JJ's podcast, it was the most popular stuff we'd ever done. Uh, if you look at the ringers YouTube channel, it's like the number one video is a JJ video. The number two video is a JJ video. The number three videos of song parody by me. Number four video is JJ video. Number five is a song parody. Number six is JJ, JJ, JJ. And so very clear. There was a, there's an appetite for, for him to, uh, to do his own thing. And, you know, as he started getting to the tail end of his career, um, you know, he, he was really wanting to invest more in the podcast and, the bubble was honestly like a blessing in disguise for us because it, because everyone was bored and zoom was the thing and everyone was bored. It was, it was really crazy. There were, there were, and at this time, like, you know, when JJ, you know, starting his podcast, I'm still at the ringer. Like I'm just remote zooming with like the most famous people in the world. And it is bat. It is crazy. Um, like, uh, this was at the time when we started this, remember I told you we were in the farm in Kansas. I was working out of like this middle of nowhere farm house, like in a, in a grandma's room and like be zooming with like Paul Rudd and Jimmy Kimmel and, and, and Damian Lillard and these huge superstars, Aaron Rodgers. Like it was a really crazy experience. And I was always like the warm up guy. So I'd have to talk to them for 10 minutes. And it was just like half the time I would just pick up the laptop and be like, look at this crazy room I'm in. And they would, you know, have a, a good kick out of it. But you know, as I saw JJ's, um, commit more to the podcast, it became obvious that he's an extremely talented person. And eventually when we were living in Oklahoma, um, and I'd started the LLC and I was freelancing for all these people, I started to get very overwhelmed by the amount of freelancing gigs I took on out of the fear of failure. I took on way too much, um, had panic attacks, the whole thing. And I realized, okay, I like working for a team, a, gr a singular group of people. I like working towards a tom common goal. And so I basically like put out a thing that was like, Hey, I want to just work for one place. And so I weirdly became a free agent. It was super fun. Um, cause I got flown all over the country. I met with, I got to have dinner with like John Skipper who used to run ESPN. Who's like one of the most, uh, he is a, a Titan in the industry. Um, you know, getting to pick his brain, work with the Levitard show, see how their show runs, everything like that. Um, and it was really weird. It was like, if you were to ask me at the time, like where JJ is, I'd say he was at the bottom and like slowly he's like climbing to the top. And a huge reason for that is because of his outlook on work in family and life and his sincere love of creating the thing he wants to create. And That, that was something that I was reminded of when I moved to Oklahoma, which is why I've always, I want to stay in Oklahoma. Cause when you move, 
to LA or whatever, you can really get caught up in some things that you never really even wanted to. Like you're, you're almost making things for the sake of impressing people and not necessarily making things for the sake of doing it. And when you work in media, you can get very callous. And so then when you work in media and LA, you get like triply callous. Like I remember at towards the tail end of my time at the ringer, you know, like I, I, something would happen like on the 4th of July and you've got to be like, Oh, here's my thoughts. There's my funny meme on it. And I was almost getting like tired of it. And so, but JJ has like this sincere, sincere love of basketball that is like reignited my love of basketball. So that started happening. And there was like a real purity behind what he is trying to do. And so that started to really matter. And then he, you know, coming off the bubble season, coming off then the season with no fans, spending so much time away from his family, I think it it crystallized for him just how much he desired that in his life. And so we were really on the same page there that like, hey, we're both going through these massive changes, very different. He just got done playing basketball, which is the thing he'd been doing his entire life. I had moved to Oklahoma to sort of try to do a reset on you know, my career, my family, like everything. And there was just sort of a a match and, you know, it wasn't necessarily as much money as some of the others, but it was like, it was a choice of happiness. Um, and luckily it's worked out and, you know, eventually we start licensing the podcast, Amazon and DraftKings gets involved in all this other stuff. And so I'm, I've I've never been more thankful for, like that I made a decision that I went with like a something that felt right rather than like necessarily money or anything. All those other places were awesome, but it was really just like, I'm choosing to be happy (laughs) and to, to do something that I genuinely love. And I'm telling you right now, like I have never loved basketball more. I just like, I think it's the best. So, yeah. And you're in a city right now where it's kicking off. Right. Dude, I, I, I'm telling you, I struck gold. Um, the fact that I can go to a thunder game and like drive home in five minutes is crazy, crazy. I love it. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in heaven and I'm like the, I'm like, like I said, I'm a little bit of a sicko. Um, I'm still like a hardcore Mavericks fan. Um, but they're not that great. And I, I like good basketball. So I'm really into this Thunder team. But like when the Mavericks from the playoffs two years ago, I drove to every single game at, from here. I would drive and then I would drive back um, every single playoff game. I'd go solo. I would not want to talk to anybody. And that's how I go to Thunder games. I just sit there and silence and just intensely watch. Um, we recently had to go with some neighbor friends and there was a lot of conversation and, and a lot of like, Jason, are you listening? And it's like, yep, yep, what's up? Um, you know, it was a bad game too, but yeah. yeah. Well, and it, it, during COVID, like you, they weren't that good. Right? right. And like in the last three years, since you've been here, like they've really come a long way and, you know, everyone was like, Oh, we're rebuilding and we're doing all this. And you know, like, yeah. we have a super young team, which, you know, when I first came to Oklahoma, you know, back in 2011, we had a super young team then as well. But, yeah. um, you know, they did very good while I was here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, split everybody up. Um, yeah, it, it's exciting. And it's such an identity in the city. Yeah, you know, with the team as well, which is you know, kind of it's uh, infectious. I think. Yeah, totally. And and um, like there was some fun. The fun part about them not being good was that the the tickets were crazy. Like um, you know, like Luka Doncic would come to town. You wouldn't have to spend that much money to get really good seats to go see him, which was was sort of nuts. Now that they're better, it's obviously much diff- much different. But. Um, but at least you're getting consistently good basketball as a product. And, um, so yeah, I, I, I love it. And I love that, you know, another huge reason why, um, I went with JJ was that he was like, he was one of the only ones that was like, you can stay in Oklahoma. Um, which he knew mattered to me. Um, and it's such a, it's such a cool, it's such a cool place in my opinion. Um, and he loves it. He like has come here a couple times and, uh, every time, you know, he loves it. And so it's, it's cool. I don't know. Yeah. Well, as far as like, you know, working for JJ in the podcast, like, um, 
I'm going to nerd out and ask some selfish questions, but sure. like, what, you know, if someone asks you like, Hey, what do you, what is it that you do for JJ? Like, what do you do? And then also are you now that we're not zooming so much? Like, are you flying around doing this podcast with him? Like how, what's the setup like? I mean, yeah. how, how are you doing all that stuff? So I'm technically the head of production. Um, he gets my title wrong all the time. Every time he's on a pod and he mentions my name, he says like head of content, head of like, and I'm just like, no, technically I'm the head of production. That's what I do. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's sort of a similar thing as to when I started the ringer, it's only, only I didn't have, I don't, you know, with the ringer, I had a team, it's just me. So I actually had to like relearn a lot. Um, I hadn't edited in ages and all of a sudden I'm like the only one. Um, but you know, build out their social channels, build out their Instagram presence, their TikTok presence, their Twitter presence, their everything, you know, um, help negotiate some of our sponsorship deals. Um, you know, put out the podcast, create a strategy around that, it's a number of things. And, and then when it comes to the travel, yeah. Um, all of last year I was traveling yeah, once a week, every other week to a different location. Um, we built a studio in Brooklyn early last year so I could operate it from here, um, which is cool, but we're, we're now moving again. Um, but I, we just hired somebody, uh, a guy used to work for me at the ringer. We just hired him and he moved to New York. Um, so I won't have to travel as much, which is cool because we are also working on other projects. I wish I could talk about them now, (laughs) but I can't, um, and that are a little bit larger in scale. And I'm, I'm fortunate enough to, to be able to be, uh, you know, commit some time to that. And again, it's another reason why I love working with him is that he, he hears me say like, I want to do X Mm -hmm. and he really helps. He's helped me thus far try to, to get to those places. So, um, yeah. And, and we do all sorts of stuff. We have a DraftKings monthly show and I help him write the script for that. And yeah, so it's, so it's, it's not it, just a podcast. It's so no. much more. No. And I never think of, I mean, you got a camera on me right now. I never think of podcasts as just podcasts. I think yeah. that's a huge mistake. Yeah. Anyone who makes a podcast and just thinks of it as an audio thing, I would say, uh, again, we, we've said this many times, audio rarely goes viral. Mm-hmm video goes viral. Now, if you have a podcast attached, fantastic. So never once have I ever thought of our podcast as just a podcast. I've always prioritized video and then audio comes second. Yeah. I I mean, yes. Uh, (laughs) I started videoing probably after, I mean, almost at 600 episodes now, I probably started videoing around like 75, 80 in, I think. Yeah. Because it was, yeah. yeah, and you're right. Like it builds to the social content. It's so easy. Like we sit down for an hour, and you're like, "There's at least ten sound bites." Yeah, and it's yeah. like it's it's a you just never know how people are going to take your content, and and you might as well find out. Like for us, we threw everything at the wall and realized YouTube was just a massive place where we were resonating with people, and so we overly committed there. But you know there's some clips we'll put out that fail on YouTube and blow up on TikTok. It, like you can't really predict the winds of social media. So you just have to kind of be relentless in your attack. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy industry. I, I was reading an article a couple of years ago that was basically like, why hasn't there been any good new podcasts? Um, but it was done so from the perspective of platforms. So the, the, the people they were interviewing were Spotify executives and they were kind of like, well, you know, it's really hard to develop a new podcast. I don't disagree. It's very difficult to develop a new podcast singularly on Spotify, but you can't like look at something like the Pat McAfee show and say, that's not a success. That is a, a crazy successful podcast. It's just that people take it in in a variety of ways. And if you want to be relevant in content, you have to attack all of those ways. And, um, so yeah, that, that is my, uh, I don't know if you could tell, but I'm quite passionate about <laughs> a little that. Buy <laughs> it up. I love it. Uh, you, you mentioned obviously you're working on some few big things you can't talk about. Yeah. Um, what, what are, is the plan in the future to do, you know, bigger stuff and just kind of, obviously you and JJ seem to be on the same yeah. level as far as that. And, and like, are we talking like featured films, documentary series, like Netflix yeah. stuff, Amazon Prime? Like, is that kind of, hey, I want to go do this. And JJ's yeah. like, yes, sign me up. That is, that is exactly it. Okay. It's, it's, so we're dipping our toes into the streaming stuff, creating some, some series, some, some films hopefully um growing extending expanding the network um i think by this time next year we'll have 
twice as many podcasts under us. Um, so there's a variety of things that we're growing into, uh, into cool spaces. I will say this, like I could direct killers of the flower moon or something. I will always make dumb internet memes. I think that is in my blood. I, it's like, it's like a good reminder to never take yourself too seriously. I've made one last night and it's just like, my wife will sometimes be like, why do you still do this? You don't need to. And it's like, I think I just genuinely like it. Like, I think it's just a, a funny, it's, uh, it's a way to make myself laugh. And so, you know, so that's, uh, that's my, but yes, we, we have plans to, to do some more serious stuff, but, um, but you know, you'll always find me doing dumb things like that. And these are predominantly on Twitter. I just pulled up your Twitter. Is that where you generally put your dumb memes? The, the dumb memes go there. If they're successful, then I'll occasionally upload them to Instagram. But, uh, Instagram was always a, a family thing. It's also where a lot of my Oklahoma friends and parents follow me and I don't want them to think I'm a freak. So I try to hold back a little bit on there. Yeah. Your name for your Twitter name and your Instagram name are two different names which is smart <laughs> uh, so they can't find you uh, is there anything that we've missed anything that you want to talk about before we finish up no I mean this is a Oklahoma podcast and I, I just like I can't say enough about uh, how much I, I really like this place okay. and um, I think it's like been very clarifying for me to be here to be honest and, and it's a huge reason why I don't want to leave is, is that it's, it's helped ground what I want in life, you know, both professionally and, and with my family, it's like, I've spoken to other creatives too, that, that live here. Um, and they said the same thing that it's, it's, it's like when you live in these other places that are predominantly production, attention, all that other stuff, you get distracted from what it is you want to do. Living in Oklahoma has been extremely grounding and it's great. It's like none of my parent friends know what the heck I even do and nor do I even think they care. You know what I mean? Um, but it's, it's, you know, it, it, I think that a, a part of me like needed that, you know? So yeah, yeah. I love it here. Uh, finishing up with some local stuff then. Yeah. I mean, some of your favorite places to eat here. Okay. Um, well, I would say that I am the biggest Oso ambassador on planet Earth. I don't know if you've been to Oso. Yes. Um, Great. But it's so funny that like people who have never been there that live on the coast and things like that, they, they always bring up Oso to me. They're like, you gonna go to Oso tonight? Like when I'm flying home or something. Like that's how much I talk about it. I'm just like, I go there all the time. Love going there. Um, Frida is another place that I go to a lot. I went there last night. Um, uh, I, I think I brought down the the vibe because I was just like in full sweats. It was so cold. Like, you know, it's kind of a nice place, but right. I was literally in full sweats. Uh, didn't care. Um, yeah. So those are, and then I really love the bar cookies, which is a crazy place. I don't know if you've ever been there. Karaoke bar on Western. Um, you're going to smell like death when you leave because of the smoking. Um, we actually, for my birthday, we rented it out. Um, uh, but I got COVID, so we couldn't, we had to cancel it last minute, but it is my favorite bar in America. Um, but yeah, I love, I, I, you know, there, there's a number of places that I really like. Um, you know, Jones Assembly is cool. I like bar a lot, a lot. Um, double cheeseburger. that double cheeseburger is no joke. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great, that, I mean, that, that in itself has been the, the pleasant surprise. You know what? I, I would be remiss if I didn't say I go to Red Rooster probably twice a week. So um, those, those folks are very nice over there. Like that's, that's, that's like a, a that's like a, um, cheers vibe for me. Like, like you, you want to go where everyone knows your name. When we walk in, like the host, the server, like the Gallagher's are here. It's like, that's, I love that kind of vibe. So yeah. Hometown, small, small town. It's great vibe in that. Yeah. Um, well, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's been good to share some stories. Um, we'll have to have you back on once, you know, all the big announcements come and uh, and we can talk about maybe Thunder, Thunder winning. Well, I'm not going to jinx it, but winning something. Uh, but yeah, man, it's been a pleasure. For people listening, I'll put your um, Instagram handle. And <laughs> if they ask, I will put your Twitter handle in the description down below uh, and we'll catch you next episode. Cheers. All right. Appreciate it, man. 
Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing an Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at OklahomaHOF. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and our third sponsor is diffie ford lincoln down in el reno now this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine um play a lot of golf together i've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. This episode is presented by Citizens Bank of Edmond. Citizens Bank of Edmond has been serving Edmond since 1901. They pride themselves on investing in the community and are here for all your personal and business banking needs. For more information, go to MyCitizens.Bank and follow them on Instagram at CitizensEdmond, as well as... Go bank there because I bank there too. It's been a fantastic personal experience for me. I've had my podcast account there now, my podcast business account there now for a few, four years now, I think. And it's been fantastic. So definitely worth your time. They're a great group of people and they're always there to answer the phone when I forget my password because I seem to forget it daily. Um, So yeah, go to Citizens Edmund and um, check them out. It's been awesome. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.